everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Amos. I'm one of the pastors here. Really good to be with you. Uh, and welcome to you who would have been going to the outside service if it wasn't cold. And I don't mind being cold, but cold and wet doesn't sound good. And this morning at 6 a.m. it was raining in Delaware. So um, I'm glad for you to be with us, though. And of course, the picnic that was planned also got postponed. It can't be next week, though, because you know what next week Sunday is? the Sunday before the election. It's the day of prayer and fasting, so we can't have a picnic and fast. I mean, you, you can fast from things other than food, but I figured that doesn't really go together. As the Sunday before the election, we want to spend some time uh, fasting, which kind of reminds us of our need for God. And uh, when we get hungry, it's a reminder to direct our attention and focus to God, who is the one who really can provide what we need. But uh, there'll be a link coming to you where you can sign up for a slot and engage on Zoom through that next Sunday. Of course, next Sunday is the first Sunday in November, and that means we're going to start offering an indoor service alongside the outdoor service. Times stay the same, so 9.30 in here with the live stream and a few more people than usual. The, the, we have chairs set up as of this week. Thank you, Gonda, by the way. And so it's interesting to have like the worship team actually sitting in these different spots. We had pulled in couches, which were nice, right? But anyway, uh, getting back to normal, phasing in. Now I'm talking to chairs, and next week I'll be talking to people. Anyway, I am losing my train of thought. That's why I'm continuing to talk like this. We were talking about inside service. Oh, yeah. So with the inside service, there's going to be details that I don't want to get into today, but uh, know that we have chairs set up in a way that you can socially distant. We'll be uh, having like a capacity limit that will be kind of monitored through an RSVP system. So the good news is tickets are free, uh, but you'll be getting an email and a text to reserve your spot here in this room, and for now, there will be a time where things will change, of course, but for now, uh, when you're in the building, uh, masks are on. So if you don't like wearing your mask, I'm convinced that today is gonna be the coldest day in November, and next week with daylight savings time, uh, that'll push the sunlight in the right direction for us. So if you don't like wearing a mask, you still have that outside option uh, for the month of November. This is the last Sunday in October, though, and that means um, our Four Corners is going to change. If you want to give to our Operation Christmas Child Packing Party, you can do that online, csvineyard.org backslash give. And of course, you can't come in and pick up a, um, a Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child official box, but you know you can pack stuff with uh, or stack any shoe box or really any box that's sort of this size with items, and you can go to their website. If you type in Operation Christmas Child to Google, you'll find a list of things. Uh, and like I said, Four Corners, this is the last chance to give to that. Things will change up in November. Final thing, uh, in case you're not prepared, I'll be using this, although and the worship team, I guess. This is a little communion cup. We will be doing communion on Zoom here in about 
50 minutes at 10.30-ish. So you should have gotten a link, well, last night and also this morning with, uh, with that kind of, you know, that way to engage on Zoom. I hope to see you on Zoom here very soon. So with that, let's pray so we can focus and uh, turn our hearts to God and hear what he has to say to us. So Holy Spirit, come and meet us. We need help. Uh, we come to you weary and burdened, many of us. We've come for rest. We've come, though, too, for purpose and meaning. We've come to you uh, because we trust that you are the one who can offer like real salvation, not just a ticket to heaven, also free, but, but like a life now uh, that can survive and thrive in contexts, even when those contexts are uh, like taxing on our mental health and are difficult. And so, once again, I say, come Holy Spirit, fill us up, be our teacher, show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want you to imagine that you're living about 2,000 years ago. You're a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. You've been out all day. You've caught, let's say, 10 fish. Is that a good day for a fisherman? Probably not. Let's say 50 fish. If you're making a living, hopefully you caught 50 fish. Uh, the sun is starting to get low in the west, and you start rowing back to shore. Of course, on shore, there's your friendly tax man named Zacchaeus. He's there to take his cut. So he looks through your fish, and he says, uh, well, here's three for the Roman Empire and uh, two for me. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Because Zacchaeus, I don't know if you knew this, Zacchaeus wasn't paid by the Roman Empire to collect taxes. Tax collectors basically were reimbursed, reimbursed, uh, compensated by the amount at which they could extort the people from which they drew taxes. So this is not only a guy that you don't like because he's an agent of the Roman Empire, he is taking money for himself. And sometimes more than it seems is fair, but what can you do about it? Because standing beside your neighborhood tax collector, is your neighborhood Roman soldier. And of course, he's got a spear and a shield, and you've got fish. And you would like to at least keep some of your fish and prevent you know, your nose from getting bloodied. So you walk over to your family who's set up a little picnic area, and you're going to enjoy dinner now. What are we having for dinner? We're having fish for dinner, okay? Uh, and suddenly that Roman soldier decides it's quitting time too, and he walks up to you and says, Hey, Jim. Uh, not a very Jewish name, but anyway. Uh, I live up on that hill. You're going to carry my armor and my bags. Follow me. As a follower of Jesus, what do you do? That's kind of where we left off this last week. That's where we're picking up this week in our Love Period series as we look at some of the essential teachings of Jesus. And this is the big one, guys. 
If you have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen too. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which, by the way, in Leviticus 19, it says, love your neighbor. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hate your, hate your enemy. But you've probably heard it said, right? Have you guys heard it said, hate your enemy? Maybe not in those terms, but that's the rhetoric in, I mean, some of our own conversations and much of our news and a lot of our media, like the idea is, is that you are to hate your enemy, whether your enemy is across the ocean or across the political aisle or across the room or down the hall. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. That's a solid burn. Am I right? He's saying even your enemy treats his or her own well. Even your enemy will welcome with open arms and, you know, hugs and high fives people who are like him and who he likes and who like him or her. And Jesus says, big whoop. Your neighborhood tax collector even does that. What credit is that to you? Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I know I've told some of you this story before, but Tyler, who was standing here a few minutes ago, our worship pastor, uh, has been here for, is it two years now? Eh, more? Three? Closer to three? Almost three years. And so this goes back maybe a few years. We were, you know, kind of still getting to know each other. And uh, one of the things that guys do sometimes when they want to get to know each other is they ask this question, you know, who's your favorite superhero? And uh, so Tyler asked me, who's your favorite superhero? And I say, Magneto. And he laughs at me. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean, Magneto? Like, he can control metal with his hands or mind or something. Like, he's like a Jedi, essentially, and most things have metal. And with that power, he can fly. Like, a flying Jedi? I'm like, what's, what's better than that? And he's like, Magneto's not a superhero. Magneto's a supervillain. I was like, yeah. I mean, he does try to kill all the humans several times. This, this is an X-Men character, by the way, in case you weren't tracking with me. So, I mean, this, this is actually not so hard, Jesus' teaching. You just have to find a supervillain and love him. Like I, like, I love Magneto. You find a supervillain. Sounds great, right? Easy peasy. Yeah, of course, this is a mountain of a teaching that when Jesus spoke it, nothing quite like it had ever been said and nobody quite like Jesus had ever lived it out. And it changes the world. And most Christians 
really struggle living this one out. Loving enemies is not something that comes naturally. In fact, even in Jesus' day, the religious people at the time took the Bible's command, love your enemies, and added to it what Jesus just mentioned here, but, uh, uh, sorry, love your neighbor. In the Bible, it says love your neighbor. They took that command, love your neighbor, and added the phrase, but hate your enemies. And you can understand why they might do this. This is politically motivated. Israel had been occupied by the Romans for a few hundred years before that. You know who it was? The Greeks. Before that, do you remember? The Persians. Before that, the Babylonians. And before that, they were under threat from the Assyrians. So, okay, drawing parallels to today. Sometimes religious leaders take the teachings of the Bible and add to them, especially when they're is political pressure or political gain. You might do the same thing personally. Like, love your neighbor, but when it comes right down to it, I'm not going to treat my enemies well. Uh, Even if that enemy is abstract and far away and I'll never meet him or her, but especially if that enemy is close because I work with the person, or this person comes to Christmas family reunions, or it's my in-law, or it's my outlaw, or it's, you know, I mean, I I just, I want you to take the Magneto enemy concept and make it really personal right now, okay? I want you to think of someone in your life that you see that drives you nuts, that irks you, your own personal little supervillain, right? In your mind, they have your demise in mind. This may or may not be true. But you spend these spare moments in your day worrying, thinking, fretting about what this person will do to you. Someone who you think hates you, who is out to get you. Again, maybe it's someone you're married to. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's a parent that you've set up this way in your mind? Maybe maybe it's a neighbor because of some comment they made about your grass once. Or maybe it's because they don't cut their grass quite to your liking. Or maybe it's a ball that was kicked into your yard or a ball that was kicked into their yard. Like, everybody have a name in mind? I want you to think of someone specific. And now what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to flip over to Luke because Jesus says something very similar in Luke as he does in Matthew. He begins the same way with this love your enemies command, but he adds a little meat to it. And I think this might just make you twinge a little. Like this might tweak you just a little bit because it gets... It gets personal, I'd say. And I want you to, again, keep this person in mind, your your personal enemy. But to those of you who are listening, (laughs) sorry, I just read this. Like that came out of my mouth and I heard it differently than the first time. I know there's a bunch of you out there, but whoever's paying attention, right? Oh man, I know that feeling, Jesus. Okay, but to those of you who are, I'm not talking about our church. Nope. Especially not at the outside service when like geese fly over. It's like, hello, I love you. I love you. I love you. I do not think of you as my enemies either. I think of you as my friends. I'm in a goofy mood today. I'm sorry, guys. 
But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I'm going to jump down just a few verses. Do to others as you would have them do to you, which is a f- passage you've probably all heard, right? That's like the golden rule. Jesus puts this rule in his teaching about loving your enemy. So this is not a neutral generic statement about do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No, do to your enemies, treat your enemies, your, your personal villains, your supervillains, your political villains, your villains down the street, treat them as you want to be treated. Jumping down a few more verses. He, gets, he's, he repeats this, right? He's like, you didn't hear me the first time. But I say, love your enemies, verse 35. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting get, to get anything back. What? Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because, guys, listen to this, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's an interesting tension, right? Or an antithesis. Like he's saying one versus the other, ungrateful and wicked. Or yeah, his kindness is like, in tension with the people who are ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful, right? Which sounds a lot like be perfect just as your father is perfect. Those things must have something to do with each other, but we'll get back to that later. Did you notice here as Jesus was speaking that he used the word do good to them twice, or he said the words do good to them twice? First, do good to those who hate you, and then do good to them uh, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. We've talked about this before. Uh, The Bible's written in Greek, well, the New Testament, most of it. And uh, there's two words for good. You remember this? Kalos and agathos. One of them means beautiful. You guys can see the screen, I'm sure, yeah. And one of of them means to, to like be or do right. Which word do you think Jesus is using here? Okay, trick question. In English, it comes through as good both times. In Greek, he first says, love your enemies and do beautiful things (laughs) to those who hate you. And then he says, and and do, do right to those same people. Um, Do right by them. Treat them well. Treat them fairly. Beyond that, I mean, Jesus is saying, lend without expectation of return. So, like, treat them generously. And I I just, I think that pushes us into a kind of love that is really countercultural. That is not our default human direction. It is God's but it is not ours. Jesus in Matthew says, God sends rain to the the wicked and the righteous. In Luke, he says, God is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. And it's not just stoic good. 
So like to do right by someone, like you can be a stoic, right? You can kind of drain the emotion out of doing right by someone. But Jesus is not a stoic. Jesus is not just interested in your head. And he's not even just interested in your action, right? We've said this over and over. And love kind of encapsulates this, encompasses this. If you want to do something beautiful for someone, whether it's drawing out their beauty or making them kind of experience beauty, the beauty of God's kindness through you, like this is a deeply emotional thing. This has to do with desire. This has to do with will and, and, and choice, sacrificial choice, inconvenient choice to love them. And so, again, we're keeping your personal villain in your mind, your personal enemy. And now we want to talk about how to do good to people. And again, this, this, if we make this abstract, nothing's going to change, I don't think. But I, like Jesus wants your heart to change, and out of your heart, your words, your thinking, your actions to flow out of that. And so let's just think a minute. Not, not about good things that you've done to your enemies or good things that your enemies have done to you, I can't think of it any really good things that, you know, enemies have done to me, maybe. But, but that's just, it's another example of how, like, countercultural this is. What good things have been done to you in the last week or the last month by people who you love and who love you? Well, I think about moments in my life. You know, somebody says, hey, I'm on my way. I'm swinging by Starbucks. What do you want? Not just a, would you like something from Starbucks, but like, I'm, ser- I'm, I'm serious about this. I am happy to buy you a drink. What do you want? What, what would that look like for you on your way to work this week? I mean, if, if you're working <laughs> in an office. <laughs> to, <laughs> to dial up or text, that would be less awkward. To text this person down the hall who you feel this friction with and say, I'm swinging by Starbucks. What do you want? I have a neighbor um, who just bought a pickup. It is, it's great because he, he was very insistent and very clear. If you ever need to borrow my pickup, you can have it. And he lives across the cul-de-sac, which is amazing. Because I have friends who have said, if you ever need to borrow my pickup, you can. You can. But they live like 20, 30 minutes away. <laughs> like I, I walked to my neighbor and, and took, I think I've driven his pickup more this week than he has. I'm not kidding. You may have a neighbor. You, even, you may have a pickup. That's less likely. But many, most of you have neighbors. And most of you have something to give or lend to your neighbors, even if it's a Christmas bottle of wine, what would it look like to bring something, to offer something to a neighbor? Now, Jesus actually kind of talks about this. Yeah, but when you lend stuff to people, even people you like and trust, sometimes it doesn't come back for months Tom, are you in here? I'm really sorry. I still have one of your uh, tools. Uh, 
he's he must be out in the cafe. But anyway, <laughs> I've had it for like a year. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, so uh, he'll get it back and it'll be in good shape. But anyway, like the idea is that if you lend something and if it comes back damaged, Jesus' heart is actually you let it go because you lent it out of a generous space, not out of a like fearful or self-protective space. I had somebody sent me a text. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, but this person knew that I was having kind of a like stressful week. And she just said, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying about you. I heard this song today and I wanted to share it. It's a, it's a song called It Is Well. What would it look like for you to engage one of your enemies with something like personal, empathetic, heartwarming? I had somebody, uh, somebody invited us over for a meal. This, this is good. This is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to share a meal with someone. And we played a game, but it was actually more fun to engage with them relationally. And it felt so good for them to pursue me through them asking me questions about myself and my past. And they asked me about where I traveled and they asked me about how, where I grew up. And I mean, it was good. And these are people I would consider friends. But what would it look like for you to walk up to your enemy or the next time you're on a Zoom call with your enemy, right? These are strange times. To not even just say, how are you doing? Because that's like saying hello. But how was your weekend? What did you do? When's the last time you've experienced like a moment of great joy. I, like that would be a that would be a pretty hard lead in. But like maybe, maybe, and often as a conversation progresses, like you can start with what have you been up to and lead into and how are you really doing? We do that somewhat naturally with our friends. Jesus is saying, do this also with your enemies. I think the next thing or the next place we want to go is to kind of try and make sense of this. And I'm not sure on the one hand that we can because I don't think we're doing this for like psychological well-being or with the promise, certainly not with the promise that our good deeds will return to us unpunished. <laughs> there are no guarantees that when we love our enemies, that we will win them over and they will love us back. They might continue to hate us. And then Jesus says, keep on loving them and keep on praying for them. We don't do this for us because we think maybe this will pay off. We do this for Jesus if we want to be like him, as Jesus says, and then you will be children of our Father in heaven. You will be like me, 
says Jesus. And I was, uh, I'm reading this book called Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I talk about her sometimes. She's a researcher, so all of these statements are kind of made with some research in mind, but I think it, it matches up somewhat well in kind of explaining how this love your enemies works in power dynamics. I want to talk about power. And she says there are four kinds of power. There is power over, which is kind of like you kind of know what that means or feels like. Power over means I'm going to make you do what I say and you're going to do my wishes because I'm stronger than you. But he says, but she says, these other three kinds of power stand uh, as like as different types. It's power with, power to, and power within. Power with means like cooperation, sharing, doing this together, seeing that you are valuable and that we are actually more effective and will flourish if we are united rather than divided. Power to, power to really make a difference. Power to do something that impacts the world outside of your kind of like small circle of you <laughs> or of me, like outside of yourself, outside of me. Power to do something that really matters. And power from within. The idea of like real power comes from accepting who you are, um, realizing that you're loved, and acting out of that courage, right? She would use that word courage to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to serve rather than only like be served. To love your enemies is an incredibly courageous thing to do because it is vulnerable. So she goes over some of these differences. Uh, there's like a PDF somewhere on the internet, and this is where I found it. She mentioned it in her podcast recently, so I went and looked at it. But I'm going to put these up on the screen. Power over, when you, when you come at power with the, this mentality, is the belief that power is finite or limited. And you use fear to protect and hoard power, whereas power with, to, and within believes that power is infinite and expands when shared with others. Jesus says, love your enemies. Power over is being, says, believes that being right is more important than getting it right. Power with, to, and within says getting it right is more important than being right. Like vulnerable. It takes humility. Power over blames others for discomfort. Often people who look, act, sound different from me. The whole idea of setting people up as enemies in our hearts which doesn't actually let us off the hook according to Jesus because it's not just getting rid of hate in your heart because there's still people out there who might hate you. Like people really will like make you their enemy. So it's not just about your perception of other people. Like there are people who are gonna be mean to you. Not everybody who you think is out to get you is out to get you, okay? But there may be people who are out to get you and cut you down. They, I mean, they, uh, they blame you for all their problems and for all their discomforts. Jesus says, love them. 
Whereas power with, to, and within says, move from shame and blame and toward accountability and meaningful change. Power over uses dehumanizing language. Power to, with, and within uh, emphasizes or draws out connection, empathy, and just humanizing acts. We talked about that a little bit last week. And that's, I think, like it's heart check time for us. It's time to take our pulse. And I want to connect this back to something that uh, one of our other pastors, Allison, said a few weeks ago um, and taught on from Jesus' words. When he says, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I say anyone who is angry has already committed murder in their heart. And out of that anger, uh, like there's, there's a natural thing that will happen. He says, you will call them uh, raka, which is weird, <laughs> but it's basically calling them nothing. Do you remember this? Or fool. In other words, there is a natural, sinful, wicked tendency in us to blame others in our anger and dehumanize them through words or insults that we use. Now, I want to I make this political for just a second. I want to take a little bit of pressure off because you know I love you and I'm an equal opportunity offender. But I have to do a heart check on myself as well. And so I want you to think about the thoughts and or rhetoric you've heard and or rhetoric you've used and the insults that have been lodged. How, what words are being used to dehumanize people? Maybe it's the word illegal or thug or liberal wacko. You remember that one? Or crazy Joe. I don't want to make too many like oversweeping generalizations. But those are things that are typical, those are words, language typically used in like our political right. And those of us who are politically conservative have heard and maybe used and thought those words. Now, those of us who are politically progressive, I don't think actually have any less contempt in our hearts, do we? We might not use those words but we, we think about how ignorant. I'm using we on both sides. I'm not, it's not you and you, it's us and us. We think that conservatives can be ignorant or rednecks or... Do you hear what I'm saying? This is not the way of Jesus. This is not loving your enemies. This is coming from a place of sin. And I would be distrustful of people who use uh, shame and blame and insult to advance power. Jesus says, you are to be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
And this perfection is not that you do everything right all the time. This is actually more about an inner wholeness. Another Greek word that I love bringing up uh, is telos. And it, it gets translated in different ways in the Bible. It can be, be translated end or it can be translated uh, like to be fulfilled, <clears throat> just like Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. It's similar to that same idea. Um, or to be whole. To love your enemies doesn't work. You'll never do it unless you can or are, are made whole inside. And guys, I, I brought these tomatoes uh, partly to make you wonder why <laughs> he's got tomatoes on his stool. But, I, you know, love your enemies like tomatoes, right? I like, too bad the outdoor service is canceled because I could, you know, whew, toss them. But I want you, I want, here's how I want you to think about it. You, did you know you can grow tomatoes upside down? <clears throat> upside down. Um, there are reasons to do that. <laughs> There's pros and cons. I did some research. I couldn't actually tell whether it was better or not to grow tomatoes right side up or upside down. But you can, at least for a while as long as you're taking care of them because tomatoes don't naturally grow upside down. Here's the thing, guys. Our world is upside down. And God's kingdom is right side up. Insults, hate, blame, it's upside down. Like, it depends on how you're coming at it. Like, if, if we love the world, like, if we love the things of the world, if we're, like, preoccupied with money and sex and power and, and politics and getting our way, like then the kingdom seems really upside down. The reality is, though, is that it's the world that's upside down. You know, but Jesus' kingdom is here to make things right again, to make what is crooked straight, to fix what's wrong. Jesus' kingdom is about wholeness, and from that wholeness, Mercy. And from that mercy, love, even for enemies, empathy, compassion, kindness, because that's who God is. It says God is kind, even to the ungrateful. And so sometimes we serve people and we don't want to because maybe they didn't say thank you. But are you doing it for the thank you? Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for Jesus? <laughs> like, are you doing it because it's who Jesus is? This is, I mean, this is a tough teaching, but it is rooted in the most unfathomable, unfathomable, infinite kind of grace and love that we desperately need. We, we need this power in our life, a power that comes from within because it comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So I want you to leave with, I hope, your hearts turn toward Jesus and lives saturated by his spirit that put his kingdom and kindness on display. So Jesus, come and send your spirit Pray this prayer with me, guys. 
Come, Holy Spirit. We repent. We repent because we don't love our enemies well. We don't reflect your beauty well. But we ask that you would come and make us whole. We ask that you would help us to love our enemies and show grace and kindness and do good to them. We think about the ways that you sacrificed for us. And so even as we worship, like we prepare our hearts for communion to remember your incredible kindness to us, your incredible sacrifice. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.